I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunner Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnerGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnerGeek.com show. Each week we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official Gonna Geek Show. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is the fantastic Chris Farrell. I'll take fantastic. That works for me. We've also got us, got with us. He's returned. I don't know why, because let's be honest, things are probably better when when he's not having to spend his time with us because we're bad company. Uh, SP is here. Hey, guys. It's great to be back. And I just came back, actually, to pack up my house and to, to move out of here because, you know, I, I put a bit on a new house and, you know, right there in Music City in Nashville, Tennessee. And, you know, I, I plan to move there and ah. just... You know, start my career as a country western line dancer. I think that this is a smart move for you. And and personally, I would recommend that for all podcasts going forward, what you do is you actually do them as a standing podcast. But your camera is going to be so far out that we're going to see your whole body and you can basically dance every single podcast. That's what I think you should do. It's multi-cam setup. You have one that's like chest level, and then you have another camera that's just watching like waist level so you can see all the dance steps. Yeah. So then I'm going to have a thumbnail on my stream deck for that scene that's just of SP from the waist down. That sounds like a great idea. Well, you could do it from the thigh down if you're concerned about improprieties of some kind. I'm not concerned. Excited is more like it. One thing that I have to say is I have to give a shout out to Amos. He had the Undaunted podcast on the guineageek.com network. I did actually meet him in person. I spent a grand total of probably five minutes with him, and it was fun to see him. So, Amos, if you're listening to this, it was awesome seeing you. And I think you and Chris both will compete for the tallest person on the gunnageek.com network at, I don't know, eight foot seven, eight foot eight, something like that. I think Willie Nelson actually has an inch on me, though. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. He's big. And so Willie's is Cody. a tall dude. Yeah, so is Cody. So we, we have a network of tall podcasters. Well, Cody cheats, though, because his hair just goes straight up. And I don't have that advantage because all my hair migrated to my face. And Cody also uses lifts in his shoes like Tom Cruise. Cody fact. Hashtag Cody fact. Make sure you guys tweet that. All I know is that when I said that I wanted to have a Gunna Geek Network member measuring contest, this is not what I was referring to. All right, let's start off with a full stack of news. Is that what we're talking about? We're going to have a full stack of news? Yeah, we are. We're going to start off with the full stack. While I was in Nashville, I kept on seeing these notifications come through, and I'm busy doing other things, and I've got my phone with me, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening right now. What happened? Starship was actually assembled for the very first time in its full 
length. It's the tallest rocket in the world. We'll get into it in a second. So the largest rocket in the world was stacked for the first time on Friday, August 6, 2021 at Space Base USA near Boca Chica, Texas. It was on the orbital launch pad, by the way. The procedure was considered a test and was slated to take place on Thursday, the day before, but was scrubbed due to high winds. The Starship SN20 model and the Super Heavy Booster BN4 both stood a total of 120 meters tall, or for you in America, it's 395 feet tall. In comparison, Saturn's Five NASA Saturn V rocket was 110 meters or 363 feet tall. The Russian N1 unsuccessful rocket, it never actually launched, was 105 meters or 344 feet tall. The NASA Artemis SLS system, it's currently stacked in the Vehicle Assembly Building there at Kennedy Space System, is currently 98 meters tall or 322 feet tall. And the Block 1B SLS, which is the longer extended version, will be 111 meters tall or 364 feet tall, all less than the Starship full stack of 395 feet or 120 meters tall. Shortly after the stacking test procedure, the vehicle was dismounted. SN20 was taken off of the BN4 and rolled back to the main production area. Both SN20 and BN4 will undergo pressurization, integration systems, and rocket firing tests and checks before its test flight later this year. But for a brief moment, the entire world stood in awe of a true technological modern marvel and now can hardly wait for the launch ready to come later this year. So this was obviously a big procedure, right? Because it was putting a big thing on another big thing, right? So it must have been up there for what? Like all that effort must have been up there for what? Like two, three hours? I don't know the exact time because, of course, I was running around in Nashville why this was all happening. But I think it was less than an hour. I'm pretty sure it was less than an hour. Yeah, that was the joke. I think it was like. I don't know, 20 minutes or something. It, it seemed really short as I went through the YouTube feed and uh, had a look at it. So it, it looked really, really like a short time. It was standing on its own, though. They disconnected the crane. So it was standing on its own for about 20 minutes before they reattached the crane to dismount SN20 from the stack. Um. Also, you said that it was scrubbed before. Is that right? Yeah, it was scrubbed on Thursday. It was supposed to take place on Thursday, Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening. It did not due to high winds. And when you're stacking something that's 120 meters tall that has like nothing holding it together except for the bolts on the orbital launch pad down below. Yeah, I would be a little cautious of the whole thing. And more importantly, the SN20 would be whipping around on top there in, in terms of the crane. I don't know what the full procedure is going to be when they reach operational status. I don't know if they're going to stack it there on the pad. I don't know if they're going to stack it, and then roll it to the pad and then use a crane to lift it over. I'm not sure. We're also not completely sure what the recovery is going to look like of the super starship, the BN booster when it comes back down. Uh, allegedly, the tower next to the orbital launch facility is going to catch the booster as it comes back down so it won't have any landing gear but that has yet to be tested i think they're going to test the hovering that is necessary for it on its first test launch which we covered a few months ago and the fcc filed flight plan 
has it touching down in the ocean. We talked about that before off of the coast of Hawaii. So I think they're going to test the ability to hover precisely from that and then see if they can't try to land it next to the tower. I don't know what high winds are going to do with that or it's all a a big crapshoot at this point in time because nobody's ever done it. Definitely not at this scale. So when they were then on the Thursday sitting there and hoping it was going to be a success, do you think they were sitting there saying to themselves, I don't want no scrub? Sure, I guess. No idea. Chris got the reference. Uh, Moving on to the next news point here, unless you have something to chime in, Chris. I had a point, and then I lost it with the terrible no scrubs uh, song idea. I completely spaced out after that. No pun intended. Oh, nice. I like it. No pun intended. I realized (laughs) after I said it. So, Chris, if you were to purchase a Model Y, would you feel comfortable with it launching on Starship? Sure, why not? <laughs> okay. Let's launch all the Tesla models into space and see what happens. Which one's in space again? The Roadster. Gen oh, 1. Right, right. That old thing. Who wants one of those? You can't even supercharge it. Oh. All right, well, moving on to the next news point here. It looks like we've got a little bit more... Um ransomware hey if you go way back in the gonna geek archives let's just say hey we had it here first because a long long time ago we had the wonderful big-haired cody goff on here to tell his story about how he got ransomed ransomware is what happened and uh since then it seems like popularity for ransomware has taken off because there's yet another company that has become a victim of a cyber attack due to ransomware, which is Gigabyte. If you're not familiar with Gigabyte, they make all sorts of computer products, largely motherboards and some video cards as well, but they are a large uh, company. They do do a bunch of other stuff as well, including, of course, laptops and monitors and things like that. But yes, Gigabyte has been being the latest victim in ransomware, which has apparently affected a few different areas of the site because the hackers are claiming that they're going to release data from the company, including confidential documents with Intel AMD and, of course, American mega trends if their demands are not reached or met or whatever you say at this point here. But there are certain elements of the Gigabyte site that are currently down, such as the support section and people who are trying to access warranty information and download updates and get all of these other things that you often need to do when you are a production or when you're trying to reach the website of a big computer part manufacturer, they are down right now due to this latest issue. So I don't know how long this is going to be this way, but I wanted to bring it up because it just seems like this whole ransomware thing, all kidding aside, just keeps coming. It's a bunch of different sites, and Gigabyte is is a pretty big manufacturer when it comes to these sort of products, and it sucks that they're the latest person to be um, held captive, and we'll see what happens with this, and hopefully those sections can at least get up and going as soon as possible, because anyone who has had the, shall we say, privilege of doing an RMA of technology like this knows that it's not the most easy process as it stands, even when you actually can access that part of the website. It, it can be crippling if it's your motherboard that needs to be RMA'd. 
and you're sitting there trying to get support and it takes a while normally because you go through the usual BS of them making you diagnose things you've already diagnosed. And that's without having a delay like this. So it sucks that this happened, but I wanted to mention it because, um, yeah, I have a gigabyte motherboard as well. Whoever opened that malware, they're in a lot of trouble over there. I gotta say, I think these companies are almost criminally negligible at this point because this has been happening a lot. And uh, I know people that are in this business of cybersecurity for different companies, actually uh, very important, like financial companies and stuff. And they take a look at some of these data breaches or some of these ransomware attacks and they have to shake their head going, I can't believe that they're still going to that, like the head of IT, that the CIO, the CTO, I can't believe they're going to keep their jobs after this is over because this at this point, you know, you're vulnerable, you know that you're going to be targeted. So you need to get your ducks in order. You need to have an A team. You can't do it with a B team. And I know there's going to be vulnerabilities that pop up every once in a while, but this is happening far, far too frequently. These companies need to get their cybersecurity in line. Yeah. Shows that there's a problem of some kind, be it a training problem, an IT issue where they're not properly securing their networks, something needs to get fixed. And I'm sure the, uh, the monetary hit they're going to take is going to encourage them at this point to be like, okay, we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. But you really shouldn't get to that point and then have to make that decision. Yeah, I can only imagine because like as it stands, the corporate workforce, I, there's a lot of IT security training out there and, and whatnot, but it's almost based off of dated practices as well, because you, you a lot of the stuff was developed a couple of years ago. And we know how much has changed over the last year, just in working conditions alone, but also just things being ramped up. And so I think that, that there does need to be sort of this refocus on company security and also not only company security, but limiting sort of what is accessible by different people. Because the reality is with so much computer-based stuff and so many people not being the most techie in the world, because you can guarantee there's a bunch of people working at Gigabyte that are working for a huge tech manufacturer, but probably aren't really techies, there may be more in customer service and things like that, there's going to be people who are potentially exposed to this stuff. So how, how do you minimize what they have access to to help eliminate a leak if they do end up being fished or whatever, whatever it is? Because these vulnerabilities, when it's something like ransomware, they almost always come down to user error. It's not it's not what you visualize. The, the person in the dark room in a Un, or an indescript country with low lights and sunglasses on hacking. No, it's not. They're taking advantage of somebody at the company who is making a poor decision. That's what's happening. And so I, I think you're right, SP. I think there's processes that need to be changed because they really are kind of negligent. So we'll see. We'll see what happens here. But hey, if you're like me, and you got a gigabyte motherboard, do what I'm doing. Just hope everything's all good. Oh, wait, I actually paid for the uh, local replacement at the local company. So if anything goes wrong with it, 
I don't have to deal with Gigabyte. So you're tempting fate right now. I'm just waiting for the feed to cut out because Steven's motherboard melts yeah. down. <laughs> All right, what's going on with this sub stack here? Is this a stack of sub sandwiches? Oh man, that sounds delicious. What kind of sub sandwiches would you want stacked together? Would you want all the same kind or a variety of different sub sandwiches? No, I think you would need to practice like good layering. So you would need to mm. have things that don't necessarily go together on paper, but it's like as you're taking a bite, you're like, oh, that's meatball. Oh, wait, now it's like a uh, veggie sandwich. Oh, wait, and the back half, it's uh, bologna or something like that. Like well, this. meatball and veggie could work pretty well together because they're not going to conflict in taste, but say meatball and tuna. I don't know there. That's true. That that. What if it's a tuna meatball? Uh-huh. I've never had one, but I guess that's possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's mm. fair. I guess you'll mm. have to uh, make it and report back on the next episode of the no. Getty Geek Show. No, no, no. I don't want that. That sounds gross. Gross. Uh, but no, sadly, we are not talking about stacking sub sandwiches together, although now I kind of want a sandwich. So thank you for that, Stephen. No we worries. were talking about a service called Substack that I wasn't very familiar with until today. Because why today? Well, today, as we record this on Monday, August 9th, 2021, James Tinian IV, who is the current writer of DC Comics' The Joker and the flagship Batman title, has announced that he'll be soon wrapping up his assignments with the comic publisher in order to launch his new line of creator-owned comics on Substack. So I had a little bit of a, uh, not much, but a little bit of knowledge of what Substack was. And I went to Wikipedia so I could tell you guys specifically what Substack is. And it is an online platform that provides publishing, payment, analytics, and design infrastructure to support subscription newsletters. It allows writers to send digital newsletters directly to subscribers. So in my mind, if we're used to podcasting spheres, it's basically like a Patreon where you're basically supporting getting daily updates or whatever from them that come to your email. So what they're doing here is taking something that's predominantly a newsletter based service right now, and it'll be digital comics coming to Substack now. This is new content for Substack. They don't have it right now. They're predominantly focused on written newsletters covering topics like politics, tech, and culture. There is a free tier of Substack that is available, but they have been signing writers to a program called Substack Pro. This offers these writers upfront payments and support so they can try to go independent without being entirely reliant on subscribers who may or may not materialize during the first year of this program. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar, James Tinian's big deal. He's a very popular writer in DC Comics. He's writing two very popular Batman stories. He's been there for a while now. He announced that he's going to kick off his newsletter with a series called Blue Book about true life documented UFO encounters. The team him with artist Michael Avon Omening, who you might know from Powers, letterer, letterer, excuse me. Uh, oh, I'm going to screw up this name and I apologize. Aditya Bidikar from the Department of Truth. And he did say his Substack will launch in early September. If you're a fan of his work or curious to see how comics on Substack are going to work, you can sign up for $7 a month or a discounted rate of $75 a year for his Substack called The Empire of the Tiny Onion. This plan allows subscribers to read Blue Box directly in their inboxes or on Substack website. It also grants them access to the full library of comics that he has planned for the platform. And he is not the only one. It was also announced today other writers, such as Scott Snyder, who you may know from Batman, American Vampire, a variety of other works, is also going to be doing publishing direct on Substack. So this is a very interesting method for people or comic book writers and artists to basically do an independent book 
outside of the major publishers and also not have to physically publish the book at this time. It's basically, hey, you subscribe to my newsletter for X dollars a month, you get a comic in your inbox. I wouldn't be surprised if they eventually have some kind of plan for selling these digitally on Comixology or something like that. And perhaps if sales or the Substack becomes popular enough, doing published trade paperbacks or something like that in the future. But this is a very interesting move for independent comics, seeing these guys kind of break free from the traditional publishers and also, more importantly, break free from having to be part of Diamond Publishing and things like that, where if I have a book, I need to make sure my solicits are in three months early so they can solicit it and get people to go and see it so they can choose to order it and get it from the local comic shop. Now it's a matter of, oh, I like his work. Let me go to his Substack and hit the subscribe button. I get everything new and then his entire back catalog he's published there, I also get from a monthly fee. It's very interesting and I'm curious to see where it goes. And I might pick up a couple months of this just to see what the experience is like. This is really interesting to me because you mentioned Diamond there, and um, this <laughs> the is devil. the devil. The uh, devil. Uh, uh, many, many moons ago, I did a comic book podcast, and there was Diamond problems back then, and still are. And creators <laughs> who were independent had lots of problems, especially. And uh, like you said, it, there was. There's problems now and there's problems back then. So I like change like this. I think it's important. And I think that um, things like this really have the potential to give a shot in the arm to certain creators that might not be able to to make it otherwise. Yeah, DC has broken free from Diamond. I forget which distributor that they're using now, but all the DC Circle. comics are yeah, is Circle. Maybe Square. <laughs> Great. What about club? <laughs> They're not using diamond. And honestly, between the pandemic and the volume that they were forced to do, whoever it was, they had some trouble in the, uh, the first, the interim. And I think DC actually had to switch, uh, to somebody else in the process. I'm not totally clear on that. All I know is what the local comic book guys tell me. I haven't really paid attention to that. Uh, the local comic book store guys uh, tell me as I go in and get my comics. But uh, DC Comics are coming in no problem now. Uh, I think Marvel really never had issues. But what's really interesting here is the independence and the independent writers or even the writers for a big company like Marvel in DC going off and doing their side projects. This is going to make it more palatable that they don't have to get in the comiXology. They don't have to have a Patreon to do this. I mean, that's another way to do this is Patreon, but really isn't set up specifically for comic books. I've heard of Substack for a long time. It has been a staple reference for those wanting to improve the monetization in the podcasting space, but it's never really taken hold with podcasting. So I... I'm aware of it. I've never used it, but this seems like a very unique and and uh, honestly good use of Substack. So I really hope it takes on because there's a lot of independent creators out there that should be able to get their stuff out and are still in this day and age. They're still hitting those gatekeepers and not able to get their stuff published and go through a distributor like Diamond or, or something like that to get it out there or go through Comixology 
and have Amazon take its like 95% cut or whatever they end up doing. So yeah, I'm excited for this. Uh, Chris, I, I really will look forward to your review once you actually pick up a couple of months of this. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I, I think this is something that we probably couldn't have pulled off a few years ago, but as we've seen Patreon kind of stand up as a successful platform for people to directly support creators, it's become more palatable of an idea to folks than a few years ago that may have been like, you want me to do what now? But I can just buy these books through these big publishers. We're moving into a landscape where people are okay with directly supporting people whose work they like, and it makes more sense to them. And they kind of go, oh yeah, you're going to get a bigger cut of this than if I bought your book through DC Comics where you're making just a fixed salary. If I subscribe to your sub stack, you get, and I don't know the percentages here, let's say hypothetically it's a $7 sub, he gets $5 of it and Substack gets $2 of it. Let's throw that out there. But it, he gets more based off of fan support, which I think people can get behind. Well, let's say you come up with a, a totally unique comic that really hits it off with a fan base. If you go with a big publisher, then you owe them some royalties for actually getting the story out there versus Substack. You probably completely own at least the IP. There's some transactional fees that probably have to go to Substack, but I'm, I, I'm just spitballing here. I'm just guessing. But that depends on the publisher, actually. Some publishers okay. basically have it set up so that it, if it's creator-owned stuff, you'll retain the rights to it. I mean, that was one of the big reasons why Image Comics got formed, Right, is those guys all wanted to be able to own the rights to these characters they were coming up with. So, like, um, Todd McFarlane owns all of Spawn outright, and Eric Larson, who's been doing Savage Dragon for, God, 20 years at this point in time, he's been doing it regularly, owns 100% of the rights to Savage Dragon. They just have a deal that splits how all the money goes out of it, things like that. So yeah, independent creators wanting to own their work. This is a common thread. And I imagine this Substack connection is just a further extension of what we've seen previously. And I wager the way these deals are worked out, they've probably, and I, I don't know, I haven't been able to research this. They've probably worked it out so that's, hey, you're just a distribution channel for the property that I own. Well, like I said, I look forward to your more extensive review once you've had a chance to use it. Should be fun. The only thing that I'll say here is that clearly Substack, the name, has confused us, right? We, we've taught, we started the whole segment pointing out the obvious confusion that is it's the name Substack. Maybe well, they should dumb. They should change it. They should call it Subdeck because oh, that decks the things. No, no. I think they should call it Fireside. Oh yes, that's Fireside. Or or um. Uh, Never mind. I was going to make a $5 foot long joke, but I think fine. they should so. call it comiXology. <laughs> What's Amazon going to do? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to the next news point here. Uh, we have some information about Boeing, or is it more like Woeing? <laughs> uh, actually, this is a continuation of your new story that you read off last week, Stephen. I read so off a story. I, you did. I it was read. about. It was, well, obviously. Yeah, Stephen's fairly literate. We've discussed this before. <laughs> it was about the International Space Station and the new Russian module, right, that came up there, and there was all sorts of havoc due to that. Well, something was impacted from that, and that was Boeing CST-100 Starliner woes, and it was supposed to launch its OFT-2 mission. Well, that didn't happen. So what exactly is going on? Well... The first line says it all. Boeing's troubles with its <laughs> manned space capsule continue. Its OFT-2 test flight was supposed to take off on Friday, July 30th, 2021. However, problem with the new Russian module for the International Space Station 
and subsequently declared spacecraft emergency put the launch on hold. By the way, Stephen did an excellent job of the discussion of this in my absence last week. Now, the launch for the OFT-2 was rescheduled for Tuesday, August 3rd. In the hours before launch, Boeing discovered a, quote, unexpected valve position indications, unquote, in Starliner's propulsion system. So after attempts to resolve the issue on the launch pad, the decision came down to roll the Atlas V rocket and Starliner capsule back to the vehicle integration facility next to Pad Complex 41 at Cape Canaveral. At the time of this recording, the nature of the valve issue remains unknown. It is known that 13 valves were rendered inoperable in total, but since the issue was first detected, seven have been brought back online. NASA, Boeing, and United Launch Alliance are still hopeful for an August 2021 launch of the Starliner OFT-2 mission to the International Space Station. The OFT-2 mission is a necessary test on the way to accredit Starliner for the human space travel to low Earth orbit. And don't worry, guys, the International Space Station is getting set to receive a Cygnus resupply mission here shortly if it hasn't already launched today. So they're going to get their delivery of their soup. Mm, Soupy. So to be clear, this is another example of where Boeing is just way behind SpaceX and just seems to have things not going well for them. Well, SpaceX didn't exactly have success after success after success. I mean, they blew up a few starships in, along the way, right? Yeah. But this is uh, something that they launched in December of 2019. It failed in low Earth orbit to fire its rocket to go up to the International Space Station in a transfer orbit. So they decided to go at it again and... I'm glad that this issue with the International Space Station occurred because who knows what would have happened to Starliner if they decided to launch and then the valve issue appeared. So it's probably a good thing that they're fixing the issue. I hope they find the root cause of the issue. It seems like it's software to me, but I hope they find the root cause of the issue and that they're able to fix it so that not only OFT2, but the first crewed mission also is successful. Because I would hate for that not to be successful. Did they try turning it off and back on? Well, that is a very complex task of disconnecting the rocket from the launch tower, rolling it back to the vehicle integration facility, and uh, plugging it back in. Well, as a level one tech, I will tell ask you, can you please turn it off and back on before we continue? I think that's what they're trying. All I know is those software engineers are sweating right now. Be like, uh-oh, did we do this? Oh, crap. And everyone's digging through that code. And be like, what did we screw up? What did we screw up? Oh, crap. Yeah, and oddly, it's very similar to the Russian issue because that was uh, somewhat software-enabled too, right, with the module, well, all that problems. Also, I, th I discussed this in chat in the Discord server, which you can find at guineageek.com slash Discord. But the OFT2 flight the Boeing CST-100 Starliner is launching atop an Atlas V rocket. The Atlas V rocket is a rocket from the United uh, Alliance, a Launch Alliance, United Launch Alliance, which is a combination of Boeing and Lockheed. The engine that they're using for the Atlas V is a Russian RS-25 ro uh, rocket engine. So even if the Starliner is going to bring humans up to the International Space Station, it's still being launched with it 
wait for it, Russian rocket. Da, comrade. Uh, I believe you've been saying Atlas V. I believe it's an Atlas V. The V stands for very old. Actually, it's a new rocket. It's it, it's um, first launch was like 2003, so it's not an old one. It's new. I so, I stand by my point. 2003 is basically yesteryear in space travel. <laughs> there was looks, a silent part in parentheses where it's Atlas V in Steven's mind. Uh, is in parentheses there. <laughs> Because he won't call it the Atlas V. It's just the Atlas V to Stephen. If Stephen's standing by his point, I mean, he looks like he's sitting down right now unless he's elevated his entire set. Yeah, that's what I've done. The whole thing is the, my whole set with backdrop and all is all, it's all on risers right now. And okay. even the chair that's behind me is just like hovering. I just you, assumed it was CGI. When are you going to dismount the stack? Do you want me to, to? Never mind. Do you want me to disconnect the cord of my rocket in the Discord? I think you need to turn it off and turn it on again. I don't even know what we're doing. Uh, moving so on confused. to the next news point. What's going on with the world of Rare Mario? So this is kind of a follow up to a previous story I had. And I apologize. I didn't go back through the show notes and pull it, but I, I recall discussing on here a uh, rare sealed graded copy of Super Mario Brothers that sold for an exorbitant. $1.23 million a while back and how we kind of went, wow, this is crazy. Well, guys, that uh, that record has been broken. And the interesting thing isn't necessarily that the record's been broken, but it's more the tool slash service that was used in order to allow this to break. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's first say that a sealed graded copy of Super Mario Brothers just sold for $2 million, which is an insane amount of money. But this wasn't something that went up on like a traditional auction site or a traditional auction house like Sotheby's and things like that. No, this was sold on a service called Rally. And I, I wager you guys aren't familiar with it. I wasn't familiar with it until I read this story. And I went, all right, let me figure out what this site is. What do they do? So I went directly to Rally's website, which is not rally.com. It's Rally with a couple initials because I'm sure it was taken. But they say, quote, Rally is a platform for buying and selling equity shares and collectible assets. Together, we rally to make investing behind ideas, emotions, and communities safe, easy, and acceptable. So what makes this sale unique, other than the price, of course, is how it was sold. An anonymous buyer purchased it through the rally service, which had sold shares of this game to investors. So what did this mean? It meant that Steven or I or SP could have bought a share of this sealed graded copy of Super Mario Brothers in a box, and it had been put up on Rally for then to be sold. And when the price was put forward, my understanding is they had to do a vote of some kind between all shareholders, everyone who had bought into having a piece of this game, to then decide whether they wanted to sell the game. It's intriguing. This is, this is like the stock market for collectibles is what we're looking at here. Like I said, it was a factory sealed game. As part of the rally service, investors can purchase shares of expensive collectibles, such as vintage baseball cards, comic books, cars, dinosaur skulls, things like that, instead of buying them outright. So you could say, I own one one hundredth of this comic book. Collectibles that sell at a high price through rally can result in return on investment for shareholders. In the case of this Mario investment, investors reportedly received a 900% return on their shares. Because the price was that high. I think this is a fascinating service. I'm not sure how sustainable it is long term. I don't know what kind of cut rally takes from it. But I can tell you this. 
there is a part of me that when I first started getting into collecting video games, collectibles of anything of any type like that, they would think it's pretty cool to be like, I own 1% of Amazing Fantasy number 15 or something like that. Now, you'll never actually truly hold it in your hand or anything like that. Whether you truly own it is probably up for debate. You own a piece of it. But I think this is kind of a cool way for people to get involved in this collectible market. Whether it's sustainable or not, I have no idea. I just thought the service was really cool in addition to the fact that the price went so high. Now, the used game market's kind of gone insane in the last two years and will probably continue to do so. But I'm kind of curious, and I might just browse through their website after the show to see what kind of things they have on there. Full disclosure, I don't really want to invest in collectibles. I'd rather invest in other things because I'm more, I'm not, I'm less worried about what my returns will be. Let's put it that way than I would be in buying in at an inflated, say, video game price. And when the market falls out and that big, oh, I've spent this much money and I'm going to lose money now. Crap. Two things. Uh, First of all, have you seen Blast from the Past? The Brendan Fraser movie? Yes. Yes, where he made his money off baseball cards. Baseball w- cards, old yeah. stocks, that, yep. yeah, stuff like that, collectibles, that sort of thing. So it is a legitimate business model. You got to wait for 35 years or something like that. But mm-hmm. hey. Because as we that. know, everything that happens in a movie is true. Don't you dare dog on Brendan Fraser, though. I know. He's awesome. Don't you dare. And number two, I can't wait till Rally includes NFT into oh their whole business model. I wonder if they do. I'm going to click the link right now and find out. <laughs> Don't click it. Don't click it. Evidently, so, it's on Android and iOS app to be able to access things. I'm not sure I can find anything on their website directly. Okay. It's probably just as well. Keeps me from getting in trouble. Oh, no, there's an Explore Collections button. There you go. Okay. There is a coming soon 1776 broadside of the Declaration of Independence. There's a Megalodon jaw coming for $20 mm-hmm. per share with a 600,000 market cap. Okay. 1960 Mickey Mantle war in Jersey that's signed $20 a share. All right. These are all collectible. I want yeah. the NFT. No. I'm scrolling. You can buy some Jordans on here. There's okay. some 1988 Michael Jordans. Steven, what were you going to say? Uh, I was going to say that I have an NFT for you, but it's NSFW. Of course it is. Um, I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> okay, right. so okay, here's some numbers for you. The Mario game, people bought in for $50 a share. Okay. Wow. Okay, so I would have yeah. done that. I did, I did want to know a little more about it. That was actually my legitimate question here was, so this game that sold, so do do we know like how that all worked? Like, so people invested in it, but who actually got the game? Like, like, was it bought for 500,000 or that? I don't know. Well, they said the market cap on it was like 125, I think is what it said on there before. I'm I'm scrolling through trying to find it, but my mouse has now died for some reason. Market cap. That's what they phrased it as. So it can only go up to 125. Initial offering market cap was $150,000. And I think it went up from there. Like an IPO. Yeah. So. But I, I guess when they invested, the people invested in it, they had already secured this. Like, I, I guess I was really confer- confused about the whole way that Rally worked. I, it, I don't know how Rally gets it for their service. Okay. That I don't know. Interesting. Well, it, 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 it sounds interesting. It sounds like some people made some money. And that's yeah. always a good thing, especially when it comes on old video games. Well, especially it, if you're not going to be able to actually own it, touch it, play it, mm-hmm. might as well make some money off of it because it just increases in va- stuff like this increases in value and not everything does like 
I have an old diamond uh, edition VHS tape of a few movies like Black Cauldron and stuff like that. The diamond edition of the VHS tapes of the early Disney films, the animation films, they're worth some. But if you go to eBay, they're only worth, even in mint condition, they're only worth like 20, 25, 30 bucks because nobody watches this stuff in VHS form anymore, right? So you got to be careful what you invest in. Yeah. Well, I'm interested to see what the next big thing on this is because this, is, this seems like one of those things where they had a huge success and so that might draw some more eyes to it and then yeah. we might see uh, the anti be upped. But that's going to go ahead and take us towards uh, the end of the show. But before we go, uh, I want to just mention something here. It's something really weird that I feel like Chris can give me some insight into here. So... Uh -oh. So I mentioned before, my kids like to play video games. They do like to play some video games. And uh, one of those video games, are you annoyed with it yet, is uh, Fortnite. They do, they do enjoy playing Fortnite. And they got really excited because, quote, Ariana Grande is going to be there tomorrow. Now, keep in mind, my kids don't really know who Ariana Grande is, but they, they heard songs by Ariana Grande before. Uh, but they, they knew of this because of, you know, the whole YouTube game thing that kids love to watch, which is game plays and people who are keeping in touch with the latest happenings and things like Fortnite and whatnot. And, um, I guess what happened was there was some form of event that they put together for Fortnite that was like a cross of like basically a promo for Ariana Grande is what it basically came down to. And, um... I found that an interesting collaboration because obviously it's a marketing venue for a singer. And I don't know, I think someone called it like an, a virtual concert, even though it wasn't or something like that. But it was just an interesting mashup to me of those two things. And I was very confused about why, why they would like a singer would choose to promote through something like Fortnite. There's a lot of people that play that game and they are very aware of who the demographics are of who plays that game. So I would wager those demographics lined up pretty nicely with the uh, target audience that Ariana Grande had. And that being said, this isn't new for Fortnite. Fortnite's been doing weird, not weird, but doing events like this where they bring in a celebrity or some kind of exclusive thing. Because like, remember when uh, Rise of Skywalker came out, the last Star Wars movie, there was a Fortnite exclusive where a fundamental part of the movie that we should have gotten was done in Fortnite, the transmission from Palpatine reassembling the Empire and things like that, that they just reference in passing in the movie was actually done in Fortnite oh, as I didn't an exclusive. Know that. Yeah. So Fortnite has been kind of on the front forefront of being able to say, hey, we know who all is playing our game. We have a real good idea of the metrics. It skews pretty young, which is what everyone wants, and saying, why don't you do crazy cool events with us? Ah, well, that makes a little more sense, but it still confused me how excited my my kids were because about this we aren't the target demographic <laughs> nope i certainly am not as far as the uh, star wars stuff that hasn't appeared in the movies you know dave filoni's been doing a fantastic job through the clone wars and bad batch and stuff like that of actually projecting scenes that were not shown in the movies so there was just one this past week. I won't spoil it in the Bad Batch, but there was a major event that occurred in the Bad Batch this past week. Oh, cool. I should check that out. Do I, do I need to have watched the uh, other cartoons? 
you can kind of sort of get away with watching the Bad Batch from the start, but it does have its beginnings within the Clone Wars. So right. I, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, is there anything that you guys would like to plug or promote? Let's start with you, SP. Any conferences or anything like that? Yeah, so uh, if you want to know my take about a major podcast industry conference, I will be starting my discussion on that tomorrow night on the Better Podcasting live chat, which you can get right here at Geeks.Live at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Geeks.Live. Glowing reviews, I'm sure. Uh, oh, something's glowing. <laughs> Chris, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? So I'm actually going to shamelessly self-promote at this point in time because we had a friend of the show that came back and joined us in the All Things Good Nerdy podcast this last weekend, David Popose, who's been on there before to talk about a bunch of his different independent comic ventures he's done through Kickstarter. We talked about Spencer and Locke. We talked about Scout's Honor. And we talked to him about issue one of the OZ last year. For those that aren't familiar, it is a comic that is basically a continuation of The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy Gale's granddaughter goes to Oz when all is said and done, her being an Iraq war veteran, things like that. And you see what all has happened to the world of Oz, which is now called the Occupied Zone. So it's not going as well as you would think. Well, issue one was successfully kickstarted and backed in like 48 hours. Issue two, he came to talk to us about the Kickstarter, the project, the incentives that are coming, and it will be officially going live on the 18th of August. So by the time the published version of this podcast is out. ATGN will also be out. I encourage you to go check out the most recent episode of the All Things Good Nerdy podcast where David joins us for about 45, 50 minutes to talk about the OZ issue two and also his experience with Kickstarter and doing a Kickstarter in the middle of the pandemic. Because remember, when he did issue one about a year ago, that was right as lockdowns and things were starting. So I'm sure that changed his plans for promotion. It's a really interesting interview. David's a really great guest to come and join us. He's like the dream guest because when you're interviewing someone, you can ask him a question and you can tell he's a comic writer because he can just go for like five, 10 minutes on a question <laughs> and start a couple of tangents off of it that all make sense for what our follow-ups you'd ask. And you're like, wow, I don't have to do a lot of work in this interview because he's good at answering everything I'm thinking. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that's good that he came back because I remember when you uh, you mentioned last time that that you'd had him on, and uh, that's awesome that it was such a success. He does write some really cool books, so I, I would encourage you. We'll have the links to it in the show notes and that. But if you're curious about some of his other books, he's going to make those be perks as part of the OZ issue too. His book Spencer and Locke is fantastic, which is kind of an adult take on Calvin and Hobbes, where Calvin is a police officer, real traumatic childhood, and you find out that Locke in this case, Hobbes, is, is part of his imagination, but they do a real go good job of pulling things together. Spencer and Locke is a really, really good read. Awesome. And you can check that out on All Things Good Nerdy, uh, which is available on the Gunna Geek Network or at atgnpodcast.com. One of these days, I'll set up some sound effects somewhere so I can actually make that booming. I'm not doing it in editing. It's not happening. That's fair. Note 7 Watch 2021. I think we need to find a Note 7 just so that we can turn it on and see what happens. I don't think they exist anymore. This is a this challenge. is Note 7 Watch 2016. Oh, I'm old. <laughs> 2016, man. That gag uh, is five years old. I know. <laughs> oh, no. And they're not even making one this year. 
I don't think they're making one again. That's what we do here here on the Gunna Geek Show is we drive a joke into the ground and then we keep going further. (laughs) We bring it back when you least expect it. Because let's be honest, in 2021, did anyone expect the Note 7 watch to come back? If they did, they're lying. (laughs) (laughs) It's podcast dirt, ladies and gentlemen, podcast dirt. All right, so for episode number 387 of the official Gonna Geek Show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying, yeah, check out all of the awesome podcasts, including ATGN, over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. I'm SP saying, check out Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Got a Marvel What Ifs coming up. It's going to be fun. Good Lord, we're old when our gags are five years old, at least. It's sad. It's so sad. Seriously. One of these days I should go through and put a, a clip show of all of us through the years. We're going to be like, oh, we oh, got no. old. Oh, I'm Chris, by the way. I forgot to say that. <laughs> <laughs> checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions which stream mondays at 8 45 p.m eastern at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.